yeah, let's go ahead and get started. So if you just want to All tell right. everyone who you are and, and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So I am Sandy Hyland. Um, I was, well, still technically the owner of Driven Results Nutrition. However, I am no longer operating under that business anymore. Um, in May of this year, I was hired on by Hard House Nutrition as one of their nutrition coaches, which is incredibly exciting. I'm sure we'll, we'll get into how that came to be, um, but it's just honestly a dream come true. And essentially, I, alongside uh, the other coaches at Hard House, we work one-on-one with clients for nutrition coaching. And a large subset of that nutrition coaching is also like mindset and behavior change. So we are not just dishing out macro plans to people. We are diving much, much deeper into why they think the way they do, why they believe certain things about themselves and how that shows up in their everyday lives and their nutrition. Wow. That was a good, uh, good pitch right there. It's like you've been practicing. <laughs> I was, it just kind of came out. <laughs> That's good. That uh, shows that you work in, in it pretty much all day. So uh, yeah. So where did the idea, at what point in your life were you just like, you know what, I really want to do this? Um, I know you were uh, a CrossFit coach for a while and things like that. Was, was there any kind of like tipping point or epiphany that you're just like, this is my calling? Yeah. No, that's a great question. So I definitely stumbled on CrossFit coaching by chance and still look at that as like one of my passions, but I think it's just coaching in general. And I had worked a little bit with a few nutrition coaches when I was CrossFit coaching. So I was a client of theirs. And in that process, I did have a few of them say like, Hey, would you ever be interested in nutrition coaching? Um, I think you would have like a knack for this. And I kind of had that in my back pocket. And so as I continued coaching CrossFit full time, I kind of developed more of an interest in nutrition coaching um, and kind of started to educate myself a little bit more on how that all looks and just nutrition education. And funny enough, when I got pregnant with my son um, back in, this was like November, 2018, it wasn't until the following summer where I really decided, you know what, I think I want to do something that allows me to be at home set my own hours, but work with people also in a different way and help them on such a deeper level. Because as I'm sure you've experienced too, as a CrossFit coach, we get people for like an hour of the day and then they go home and there's this whole other section of their lives that we know nothing about and that we really don't always have that big of an impact on. And the missing piece or that gap was always nutrition. And so um, honestly, getting pregnant and having my son was really kind of that turning point of, I think I want to go a different direction and use this kind of craft for coaching in a different way. And so um, I finished up my precision nutrition cert uh, like two weeks after I had my son. And uh, October of 2019 is when I got my LLC and created my business. Um, my first client was my mom. <laughs> and I started working with her and then some other family members. And then just little by little, I just kind of, you know, started getting more people. And I went from three clients to five and five to eight and eight to 10. I was like, oh my gosh, it's happening. Um, of course, COVID was obviously around the corner when this is happening too, um, which was, you know, interesting experience too for kind of getting clients and having to adapt to um, people's finances changing, of course, and, and understandably so. Um, yeah, and then it just kind of developed from there and, and really kind of took off after that point. That's awesome. Uh, so it sounded like you had a pretty quick turnaround. You went from 
hey, this is something I want to do to you got a certificate and then you took on clients right away. Would you say that um, that was overwhelming or was that perfect, like the way it all kind of happened? It was not without its challenges for sure. So in the same way that I experienced um, a high degree of imposter syndrome with CrossFit coaching when I first started, it pretty much was the same thing when I transitioned over to nutrition coaching, which is so interesting to me too, because I remember getting to a point with group coaching where I just felt so confident with it. By no means that I feel like I know it all now. I know everything. Um, but there's just an ease, right? There was just comfortability. I'm in my flow. I'm in my element. Um, I know what to expect. I can anticipate challenges. You know, you just have the experience. And then this was a completely different ball game. Because I started to learn very quickly that there was so much that I really didn't know. And especially in the very beginning, not knowing what you know, um, you can kind of live in this, like, you know, ignorance is bliss state for a little bit. But, meaning, you know, okay, why is it hard for somebody to be a parent? Like, why is this a struggle? Like, what, where is the disconnect between I want to do this and be here, but I don't feel like I'm able to do it. And so... In the beginning, it was really, I think, the struggle with confidence and a little bit of imposter syndrome um, and kind of reminding myself that I was capable. And I mean, that that still pops up every now and then. Now I just have a team of people to kind of, you know, talk that through, of course, um, with. And I have a lot more education since that that first um, certification that I got. But but yeah, it, it was a fast turnaround. But it wasn't one that I would say was completely seamless. It was definitely one that behind closed doors, there were a lot of uh, conversations filled with doubt and hesitancy and and questioning. But I'll say, too, that what I'm grateful for, and I think something that really, really helped me was the fact that I had a lot of connections within the CrossFit space in RVA. And there was kind of a familiarity, even if somebody didn't know me fully, there was kind of a connection of, oh, I know who she is. I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with her. Um, and that kind of opened the door to people recommending, you know, clients to me and saying, oh, hey, I heard she's doing this now. You might want to reach out to her. And that was really helpful. So in a weird way, kind of funny way, my CrossFit years really helped me transition into that nutrition coaching, like within this community. Well, yeah, I would say your reputation as a CrossFit coach was probably pretty good. Like I never heard anything bad about you, of course, but uh, you know, I'm sure that that helped, right? And a lot of people, I think, have a misconception that like remote coaching is remote. Like you just find people on the internet that need help. And a lot of people don't realize that most, from what I've seen, most like remote coaches, it started from a local area of you know, busy clients or people that couldn't make it into the gym for like workouts and things like that. And same thing for nutrition. It's just sometimes it's easier to find people locally through word of mouth or through people you've coached before. Um, And people, you know, it's not, you just don't set up a website and then people show up to your door. You have to go out and find these people, you know, whether it's through connections or or through, you know, your reputation. Um, So that's pretty exciting stuff. You know, you really kind of just on-ramped and and took off. I would say the imposter syndrome a little bit's probably healthy. You know, it keeps you on your toes. Oh, for sure. Uh, it keeps the ego in check, right? So that's uh, yes. that's always a, always a good thing. Um, what are some like common misconceptions about what you do? Like, if so, if you were to tell someone just on the street, they're like, "Hey, what do you do for a living?" And you were to tell them, what would be a common misconception they would probably like re- respond with? Like, "Oh, you do 
XYZ. It's like, no, not really that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I think um, behind closed doors that you don't have a real job <laughs> is probably one of them. Funny enough. You mean you, um, you still work? Or, yeah. Yeah. Or that it's, you know, strictly part time. Um, and it's, it's not. Um, and that it's a very common thing. And I think the nutrition coaching space, there's a high high discussion across, you know, around boundaries and boundaries of work-life balance because I think for anyone who works from home, it's so accessible, right? Like you're more accessible and clients can text you. And, and I do encourage clients, depending obviously on what plan they have with me, um, you know, to reach out in the moment when there is a problem. And that was something I struggled with too, though, in the very beginning was kind of implementing those boundaries and, and ultimately getting to a point where I decided what? No, I don't want to work on a Sunday or I want to have a normal weekend or, Hey, my phone goes into do not disturb at 6 30 PM, but I will get back to you the very next morning. Right. Cause there's really no such thing as like a nutrition emergency. Um, you know, we can get to that stuff. When yeah, that's, that's nine one one. I think, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I have a firefighter husband, so like, you know, right. he's familiar with that one. Um, but, but yeah, I think, um, you know, maybe the, the initial assumption that, it's part time. Um, it's not like a legitimate career. Um, and then from there, honestly, I think the other misconceptions come from whether or not somebody has an experience with a coach previously. So if somebody has worked with another coach and it wasn't a positive experience, maybe they kind of come into what I do as, oh, you just, you know, prescribe macros or, you know, you just tell people what to eat. You just write meal plans, um, which I do not do. Um, side note, only registered dietitians can write meal plans, um, which I am not. Um, and so it, it's so much more detailed to that than that. And I would say in the beginning, perhaps I was more so like, okay, I'm, you know, allotting out macros and I'm helping people do that. But, um, you know, as it's evolved, again, like it, it's so much deeper than just the nutrition component. There, there's so much more to it. Um, yeah, I was going to ask about I'm that. Like in the beginning, other... like you kind of learn, you learn the knowledge and it's the same when I went to the level one CrossFit, even the level two, you come out of there, like I'm armed with all this knowledge. Um, now it's time to like regurgitate or in some words, like throw up all this knowledge on somebody. And it's just, it doesn't, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't really work. Um, that knowledge helps you inform your recommendations, but it doesn't do what's probably the most important part, which is more of a behavioral change. So how much, I guess, were you kind of thrown off by the idea that it, all that knowledge is great, but that doesn't create change, that doesn't change habits? And how much did you realize you had to learn about more psychology of like influence or um, daily habits, um, that kind of thing to, to encourage your clients to, to find success? Yeah, honestly, probably within the first six months and I had the like the first and I'll, and I'll say um, challenge client, not because the person themselves were, were difficult. It was because they were experiencing things that I did not have the knowledge at the time to help them work through, whether it's all or nothing thinking, self-sabotage, um, uh, self-belief, too. Right. That, that's such a huge thing, you know, as, as well. Like, if you don't even think that we're capable of making the changes we want to make, well, pump the brakes, right? Like, that's going to be a really big barrier to get over. Um, so within the first few months, that was kind of the realization. And luckily for me, at, at the same time, I started working with, with my nutrition coach. Um, 
shout out to Alex Macklin, um, who I started working with when I was, um, you know, newly postpartum. And he was such a big help to me in terms of providing some feedback and, and some advice. And it really wasn't until this last year that I took, um, there's another cert that I would highly recommend to any coach. Honestly, if you work with people in general, I think it's fantastic. Um, it's the health mindset, uh, coaching certificates, HMCC. Um, but it, it dives in. Yeah. Um, the, the woman who, um, created it, her name is, uh, Casey Joe Orvitas, I believe is her last name, but she's a PhD, um, in psychology and then also has her own coaching nutrition coaching company. Um, uh, and she's, she's incredible. And, and from week one, day one, there was already information I was getting that was immediately applicable to my clients. And it was kind of this like, Oh, like, oh my gosh, this is what I was missing. Like, these are the things or the questions that I have been lacking as a coach to be able to help people start unpacking the reasons why they feel like they can't do something or, or where the hangups are, you know, in, in their, um, in their coaching process. So, um, I'm trying to think where I was going with that, but just um, the behavioral that, that you had to kind of really helpful. Yeah. Like kind of what we were talking about is the like overcoming the behavioral side of things and realizing you weren't equipped maybe for all of those things and kind of that mindset shift that you had to make of all this nutrition knowledge is great, but now I need all these other tools, right. To actually make a change yes. in someone's life. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that has been a game changer, honestly. And in the last like six months of my, my coaching for sure. Oh, wonderful. That That's great. Um, how did, uh, COVID impact you? I mean, I know you, you kind of did all this around COVID time and also with a newborn. So I'm not sure like if you could tell what the difference between the stress of all the different things at the same time, but, uh, you had a lot going on, but did you notice anything specific in your clients or with you like during COVID where you had any kind of realizations about like, whether it's certain advice to give to clients or certain things that they were coming to you with that was new that maybe you, you wouldn't have normally had to deal with? Yeah, I think it was different for, for each person, depending on the situation. Um, I, I do work with a lot of nurses and obviously my husband being a first responder, um, you know, dealing with, with that. And there was kind of this underlying, like, especially when it was at it, its peak, right? That concern of, okay, we have like a semi newborn um, and not wanting to, you know, deal with that. And I know like funny enough, like we had our, um, a first call scheduled in like March of that time. Right. Uh, maybe we won't do this now. Um, the biggest thing though for my clients were first responders or in a position of like healthcare dealing with a lot of added stressors and having to really decide if that was an appropriate time for them to enter like dieting phase and go into deficit, like knowing that their own self care was starting to be compromised for the sake of their jobs. Um, and, and really just having to help people really learn to give themselves a little bit more like grace and self compassion during that time and kind of set up what their own unique non-negotiables would be for, for their nutrition. And then maybe for them, it was, Hey, I'm just going to try to like drink enough water, which funny enough, that was one of the biggest challenges for clients in settings because they're wearing masks all the time. They can't have water with them. So they have to, you know, go to their break room, take off their mask, or they can only, you know, decontaminate in what, you know, a certain area, um, or certain room. And so that was an actually a very interesting struggle. Um, and then, and for some folks too, 
like eating enough during the day because they're working longer hours and not having the access to the food they need for the exact same reason for drinking water. And uh, so that that was a unique challenge. Um, oddly enough, for some people, though, this is actually a discussion that came up in um, uh, our, our coaches chat. Um, and and my, mo- my boss, Sarah, um, referenced this, but for some people, and, and I don't say this to like make light of, of the situation, but some people actually kind of like thrived through that period because it almost gave them an opportunity to evaluate the things they were doing. And it, it put such a wrench in their schedule and their daily lives that they got to reevaluate and decide, oh, I'm going to do something different. My schedule doesn't look the same way. I'm thrown out of my routine. And they actually took advantage of that and they were in a place to do so. Um, so I think it really depended on the nature of the person's work and their job um, and, you know, what they were able to kind of do with, with that situation. Um, and of course there were, there were some folks who ended up working from home and it was, uh Oh, I have access to all these things that I don't normally have access to. Uh, that was me. Um, maybe they're more sedentary, right. <laughs> maybe they're more sedentary. Um, hey, I struggled with that too, you know, a little bit as well. Um, like, hey, it's, you know, noon, I could go you know, get some ice cream and just chill out for, for a while. Um, yeah, no one's going to see yeah, me grabbing it, this, uh, another sleeve of Oreos, you know? <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, those, those were kind of the, some of the unique challenges that actually, when I think you had first, um, brought up that question, didn't pop up into my head until I started kind of, you know, talking them all out. But, um, yeah, it was really dependent on each person's kind of unique situation. Oh, for sure. I mean, there's like, uh, I, I remember at the very beginning, um, I said this to my wife, I said, you know, for those of us that are not, for those of us who are getting a lot of advantages during COVID, which there were people like like me who got to work from home, I actually got a more flexible schedule. I wasn't at a high mm-hmm. risk of anything. So I was, it was actually a better work-life balance. I said for those people in that category, there's, there's going to be like two types of people and probably more than that, but just to simplify it, there's going to be people who take advantage of that and use it to become better or there's going to be people that actually regress in that environment because they don't already have the tools to kind of i guess exist in that environment of like oh i'm at home and i'm working from home so i can just eat whenever or you know and then there's other people who are like oh i i work out in the morning you know downstairs and i come up and then i go to back down and eat some food and i go back to my office and it's like there was two options, right? You could have had of like, you could do this, yep. turn this into like a benefit for you, or you could just totally spiral. And like, there was people uh, like, you know, drinking a lot and like, just like yep. partying it up, which yeah, that's fun and all. But um, I just thought that was interesting that like, there's, if you see like opportunity like that, and, like, you know, what, what are you going to choose, you know, to do with your day? Um, but it's just uh-huh. very interesting how, how that whole COVID situation played out, you know? Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the the alcohol piece too, because that that was definitely another component for for some clients where um, they know that that was a behavior that wasn't typical for them, and then it kind of out during that period, uh, mainly because it's like, well, I'm already done with work. It's four o'clock. What else is there to do? Yeah. And that became something that was, you know, not immediate, but over time, I was like, oh, this is something new that I'm suddenly like making habitual. I- don't like that um and kind of having to uh slowly change that behavior you know around a little bit so yeah i I did see that a little bit as well yeah you know you shut down the laptop at four there's no commute you walk downstairs you know you crack open a beer and turn on netflix or something right (laughs) yeah yeah exactly (laughs) right 
Oh, for sure. Um, are would you say a majority of your clients are weight weight loss goal seeking, or like they're looking to lose weight of some sort? Maybe not weight, but they're looking to, um, I don't know, if eat less or work out more. Um, would you say that's the majority, or do you have a lot of people that are also like trying to gain weight and trying to? Um, have other goals than most people when they think nutrition, they think weight loss, right? I'm, I'm assuming mm-hmm. you have other uh, scenarios and if you could share, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, a little bit like brief background on me. I actually personally come from an over-exercising, under-eating um, background, um, specifically like through college and, and even through some of those early years of, of CrossFit as well. So um, in terms of like my niche clients, not that I don't love helping people who have fat loss goals, but I really do love it when someone comes to me and like they are in need of a reverse diet. So essentially they've been under eating chronically for a long period of time. And we essentially have to gradually over several months, bring their food and take back up to essentially get them in a safe place um, metabolically to then enter a, a you know fat loss phase in the future. And when you have somebody who comes to you who does initially think that they just need to go right into a deficit, and then we kind of take inventory of their their food, and we realize, yeah, you've been chilling at you know thirteen hundred calories for a long time, or or maybe during the week that's how much they eat, and then on the weekends they're eating three thousand calories, right? Um, You know, it's still kind of the same process, and um, I, I love being able to help men and women go through all people go through that and realize that oh my gosh i can actually eat more even though for some people they're they're actually theoretically eating less if they're kind of going through that like under eating and then overeating cycle um and it it kind of like changes how they they view food too a little bit um and realize like oh i can feel so much better actually eating more so I would say it's, it's kind of a healthy blend of of some people who come who have um, performance-based goals some people who originally have fat loss goals, but it's something that we have to table for a brief period because they're just not in a position to enter a dieting phase. Um, and then every now and then I, I get the unicorn clients who are actually, like they're in a position to enter a fat loss phase, like right when they come to me and, and we can kind of hit the ground running. Um, that has kind of been few and far between. We typically, for a lot of the folks that I see, we kind of go up and then we come back down. Um, and then of course, like help bring them, you know, back to maintenance, um, after their, their dieting phase, which is one, I think important piece that a lot of people miss out on when they kind of diet themselves or they jump into a fad diet. They radically change everything about what they were doing. They, you know, drop 15, 20 pounds and kind of go back to what they were doing before or eating the same volume. And then you see that kind of rebound of, of weight gain. So, um, to answer the, the main question though, it's a healthy mixture of, of all. So kind of performance athletes, um, also folks who, who do have, you know, fat loss goals. And then some people who just want to get stronger and see like, how much can I eat and, and improve my body composition? I think that's, that's a big one for a lot of, um, a lot of the moms that I work with too, is they don't want to feel underfed. They want to feel strong and capable and crushing it in the gym. And, the aesthetic component is just kind of like a byproduct of, of all of that, which is really cool to, to be able to see that happen. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I've, I've talked to a lot of people that, you know, you just assume that nutrition, weight loss, but, um, there, there's a lot of people that struggle with gaining weight. Uh, I, I had a friend, uh, in the military actually, um, who was put on double rations 
because he just couldn't, wow. he couldn't make minimum weight. And, uh, I mean, that guy was eating like crazy, like all the time yeah. try, trying to keep weight on, but it was very difficult for him. And to me, I looked at that as just as difficult. Like I, yep. I grew up, you know, overweight, so it took me a while to get that off. And, you know, you always look at the, the skinny person and be like, oh, it must be so nice to have to eat more because you can't gain weight. And it's like, well, it's just as hard. It's just the other end of the spectrum, you know? <laughs> exactly. No, for sure. For sure. And, and I'll say that's what's kind of nice, though, about now um, working with like a, a team of, of coaches, because we all have those different backgrounds of for one of, our, you know, one of the coaches, like she's expressed too, like, I don't know what it means to under eat. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I don't know what that looks like. Um, and then conversely, I'm like, oh, no, like, you know, fear foods and, and feeling like you, you know, um, just you can't have certain things. Whereas, oh, my gosh, like what will happen to you? And all those all those different things. So, yeah, it, it is. I, I love how you phrase that, too. It's just the other end of the spectrum, which is which is so true. Do you, um, do you find any, uh, like testing, whether it's like metabolic or, um, I mean, there's all sorts of tests, right. You can buy online or you can go out and do, or you could do like a, uh, resting test, you know, like a 15 minute with the mask and try to see what your base calorie, do you find any value in those? Are those like just extra data points if your client say does that on their own, or do you find that there is uh, value in, in any of that kind of testing um, for anybody? So if someone wants to go like that route, that would be something that I would say, hey, that's awesome. I will not interpret those results. That's going to be outside like my personal scope of practice, um, you know, as, as a coach. Um, kind of crossing over to, I think, a little bit into like exercise physiology and, and whatnot. Um, but there, there are some clients who like they enjoy getting like DEXA scans. Um, some folks uh, use like in-body scans as well, which the accuracy on those can, can be suspect. Oh. Um, but for some people, it's a, it's a nice way to kind of have another marker if as long as they don't find them like hyper fixated on what, what's my body fat percentage? Like, what is it? Um, it's for a lot of people as much, but if it's another marker of change, then I think that can be helpful to, to have that data and to see that. Um, now if, if you're, they're working closely with, um, with a physician, then I'm sure that that would be helpful to see too. But I will have clients ask, Hey, do you need to know how many calories I burned in, you know, this workout that I did? No, <laughs> no, that's okay. Like, the margin of error for, you know, fitness trackers is so, so great. Um, it's okay. Like we're pretty much already factoring your activity into the process when we, we do um, account for, for total calories. Um, right. So if someone's just genuinely curious, I say go for it. Um, if you have the funds to do something like that and, and you want to like geek out on that data. Um, but personally, that's not something that, that I'll look at and kind of use as like a metric. Have you ever found it to be like detrimental like i know some people they go and get a test and then they feel worse even though they were on track or they were like seeing results but they got something else that tells them something that they feel like oh i'm not like you ever had that like they get data that just completely throws them off uh where they're where they're headed yes yes um it was like i don't want to jump the gun i want to let you finish but yes yes um and honestly um and this is not a, a snub at um like doctors at all, but I have had a lot of clients go in for, especially, you know, for, um, some of my clients go in to see like their, their OBs or, you know, their, their regular exams. Um, 
I've even had clients go into like better med just to get a, you know, a test for COVID or something like that. And then they're like slid a pamphlet about obesity across the table or like weight loss. And not, not even like no, no reference for what this person has been doing. No questions about, Hey, are, do you work with a nutrition coach or a nutritionist? Are you doing anything? Like they're not even there for that, but just kind of, Oh, there you go. Um, and that's the stuff that just gets me an eye twitch. It makes me so frustrated. Um, yeah. but yes, like those, those are actually more common to see that happen. Um, and then that's when I'll have clients kind of come back and they're like, I have to vent for a minute. I just need to let, you know, you know, get this all out. And that's stuff that we have to start to, you know, unpack and um, kind of, it, it depends on the information that they're, they're given sure. to, of course. But, but yeah, you know, in, in some situations it can, I think extra data be a little bit more like mentally like impactful. Um, and that's why too, for, for some clients, you know, like the scale and, and measurements are certain yeah, markers of, of progress. Next, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. That. Um, yeah. So for, for some folks, the scale is, I kind of have a couple different ways of looking at it. You know, if we have issues with it, we can either choose to confront it and on a regular basis so we can learn about our bodies and understand that daily fluctuations are normal and they are due to a whole host of reasons. No, you did not gain three pounds in a weekend. Um, and they can kind of learn about themselves either being hyperfixated on I weigh every Monday, but hey, on Sunday, you went to a barbecue and you had some beverages and, you know, maybe you ate just a little bit more than you typically do. And so the scale's up and, you know, that can be really frustrating. On the flip side of that, though, if I have somebody who feels like they are mentally and emotionally impacted and it affects the rest of their day, it affects just how they think about themselves. For some people, it's probably best to kind of table the scale for a little bit until we're in a position to feel more comfortable moving forward with it. Um, and I've got a number of clients that that's what we do. And we rely on progress photos. We look at uh, measurements for, for some who are comfortable doing that. But we also look at how do you feel, right? Like, how do you feel in your clothes? What's, what's your workout performance like? How are you sleeping? Are you managing stress better? What's your relationship with food? Can you enjoy a night out with, you know, with your spouse and, you know, feel like you can go to a party and live your life? Like those are other things that I think are far more important than that hyperfixation on just like those numbers. Yeah. So th that's, I think, another data point, right, where you're talking about where your client will come in contact and, and not understand how, what, what it is. So like the idea of a BMI or an ideal body weight and, mm -hmm. and how that that's where those pamphlets are coming from. They're just general recommendations. And there's like sometimes like 70 pounds in the range for your height and your age and all that. And yep. some people see themselves on the high end or even exceeding that range, say, and they're like, oh, it says I'm obese. So therefore I am. And it's like, yeah, but that doesn't account for anything. Um, have you yep. found like clients like struggling with that even after you, you've coached them and you've like really helped them through like, the scale's not that important for what we're trying to do for you or for whatever reason. And then they see something like that and they're like, no, but this says I'm obese now. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say it, it, it pops up. And, and I think what's important about that is that sometimes those thoughts or like some of those like feelings can resurface, right? Even if we have like through them, right? You get, you know, references that, oh, hey, you're actually not as good places as you were um 
like, you know, somebody got something that um, indicated, you know, um, that, yeah, they're, they're not as far, you know, progress-wise as, as maybe they originally thought that they were in, and that's super frustrating. I feel frustrated for them, right, that they're having to kind of unpack that again. But, you know, I think it's a, it's a great learning opportunity, and we don't get better kind of confronting our self-image or confronting those things without practice. Sorry, I have a fly like coming by me. Um, without practice, we need that that practice, you know, to work through those thoughts. And just because you decide, okay, I'm not going to believe this anymore, doesn't mean that you're devoid. Like you don't have to have like that feeling ever again. Like it's probably going to come up, and and that's what's helpful, I think, too, about obviously like having a coach to to work through that with you. For sure. Well, that was that was well said. Um, so I think for uh, the last section of this little talk, um, we can go into maybe some myths. Uh, one of these is inspired by a post that I saw, which if you're not following Sandy on Instagram, you should, because <laughs> there's all kinds of cool stuff um, on there. Uh, one of them was, uh, I have to give up my favorite Starbucks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was one of my stories. So, yeah. Um, yeah so for this, this new client that, that started with me, um, we hadn't even really unpacked like what her nutrition like fully looks like just yet. We kind of take the first one to two weeks to evaluate that and then set a plan. Um, but she had messaged me and said, Oh, I'm so excited, you know, to get started. But I just have to tell you, I'm, I'm really not looking forward to having to, you know, give up my, my daily Starbucks. And instantly I was like, well, wait a minute. Like who said we're, we have to give that up? Like, firstly, I don't even know what that drink looks like for you. You know, it might be something that's very easy to modify, or it might not even be something that you have to, you know, get rid of. And that I think leads into the myth or the idea that you have to restrict or eliminate all of these foods that you enjoy for the sake of making progress and being successful. And that is something that I think backfires on a lot of people because they restrict and restrict and restrict that only lasts for so long. And I don't know about you, but when somebody tells me that I can't have something, that's a big, okay, like, screw you. <laughs> I want it 10 times more. Yeah, I'm sure. going to go and try to get, you know, that, that food item. And so, um, that's one thing that we work on, on teaching folks and that, hey, you know, you can, have the things you want, you just may not be able to have them in the same quantities that you typically eat them, or even maybe like as frequently in some cases. But if this is a non-negotiable for you, then that just means we might have to adjust in other areas. And is that something that you are willing to do? That's the other, I think, key piece is like, where do you fall on that like ready, willing, able scale? And what do you feel like you can do and, and are willing to do? Um, so that, yeah, that's, probably the first myth of like, you know, I have to eliminate all dairy and gluten and cake and coffee, <laughs> all of these things. And you don't have to do that unless you're having like a physical reaction to those foods. You're, you're probably okay. So you're saying if I just eliminate carbs, that's all I have to do. Is that what you just said? Oh my gosh. I had somebody, <laughs> I had somebody from a gym actually asked me that. <laughs> They're like, if I just like stop eating carbs, like that'll work. Right. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> maybe in the short term, yeah, but no, it, it no. may, you might be very tired in the gym. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You'll, you'll probably lose a fair amount of water weight initially. Um, and then you're probably going to be really hangry. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that goes to like the whole, there's a reason why fad diets typically focus on one thing. Cause it's just one thing. 
that simplicity makes it feel very obtainable. If I, if I just, yes. if I only eat fat or if I don't eat bread or if I don't drink any milk, which is funny because a lot of these diets never say just cut out all your alcohol. It's weird how that one like rarely gets brought up. <laughs> yep. But, yep. but uh, yeah, so like, I mean, is that, is that viable? Like just, just one thing, right? And then you're good. Yeah. In the short term, for sure. Absolutely. Because people do it all the time, right? They laugh six weeks on minimal carbohydrates, they last a certain amount of time by radically giving up something. Um, alcohol, I think is, is a unique component to that. Um, because we've had some clients too, who kind of have to, they don't realize it about themselves, but admitting like I enjoy alcohol for some people that that's hard to actually admit and say, no, I don't want to give that up. It's I really they don't want to be, they don't um, want to be labeled an alcoholic. <laughs> Well, exactly. Yes, yes, exactly. And I, I think the thing, though, that, that we work on doing for our clients, one is coaching without shame, right? So if you're somebody who's like, no, I enjoy having, you know, a glass of wine with dinner every night, I'm not giving that up. Okay, then it's our job then to at least educate you on on what that looks like and give you the information you need to ultimately make that decision. Um, but But yeah, is it feasible to give up one thing? absolutely but if you don't have to you know why why would you yeah i think that's key right there like you don't have to do that yeah For yeah sure. and, and breaking down that misconception that 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 you do and it's still like i i find i get i sometimes have to remind myself that some things that feel very like uh like oh duh like of course like Everyone knows this. Like, no, no, they don't. And and kind of constantly reminding myself that no, there there are a lot of people who like you look at the magazines that are guaranteeing people, you know, astronomical, you know, amounts of of weight loss. I'll say weight loss, not fat loss, because that that's like a very distinct difference there. Um and and people do they believe it, right? Because they they either don't know any different or they just want something that will work. And I don't like, I don't blame those people for, for looking at that and, and wanting to try it. Right. Because if you are so sure. desperate to find something that sticks, um, of course you're, you're gonna go to something like that. Oh, and you course. have these, you know, doc, some doctors saying that, Oh yeah, this will work. Just give up carbs. Yeah. Um, I think maybe the last big fad or I don't know if it was a fad, but right after what was it keto, and then after that was intermittent fasting, or around the same time, right? Those were like the two big ones. I think at at my civilian job, I was just like everybody I know was either doing one or the other, and it was just it was it was crazy how those diets moved through a culture, and then they also mm-hmm. typically leave. Like I don't know many people doing either one of those anymore. Um, do you have any just off the top of your head thoughts on on like uh, intermittent fasting? I think that's still kind of sticking around longer than some of the keto stuff. Yeah. Well, have you um, have you seen people doing both of them together? I have heard of that. Like, <laughs> I'm if you do two, yeah, if keto. you do two diets, it's double the the effectiveness, <laughs> right? Oh yeah, it gives you superpowers. <laughs> <laughs> that's it's the ultimate, uh, you know, weight loss uh, strategy. But. Um, you know, with with keto, like I admittedly, like, I don't know enough. About, I would 
personally not take a client through that kind of protocol. That's not to say some people don't do better on like a lower carbohydrate intake. It depends on what they're doing too, right? Activity wise. So I don't want to give a blanket statement and say, no, everyone should be eating like over 200 grams of carbs. It depends on what they're doing in certain populations probably won't do better on a higher carb intake. They, they may thrive better with a different ratio of macronutrients. Totally fine. Um, with intermittent fasting, the thing that I don't really like, and this is with any fad diet, is the glorification of this is the thing that will solve all your problems. And what they do is specifically with intermittent fasting, it's simply short, shortening your eating window. So you know, if, if you typically eat, you know, throughout the day from, you know, 8am to 8pm, and you want to, you know, change your eating window from like one to eight, for some individuals, it's a lot harder to get in the volume of calories that they would typically eat in a much shorter period of time, because one, you're going to feel fuller <laughs> a lot longer. So that's really all it's, it's doing. Um, for some people, maybe it's helpful for digestion. You're giving your body a little bit longer to, to digest and process food, but it's it's not superior to, to any other way of, of eating. If it works for your schedule and and you like that and you prefer having larger meals for it, like that that that's on you. Like that's fine. Um, but again, it's not something. It's it's not a like need to do in order to see the results that you're seeking. Yeah, I would say that that's big, like schedule. Um, I will tend to like, if I'm on the flight schedule for my military job and I'm, I'm flying that day, uh, usually it's an afternoon type thing. So like I won't typically eat breakfast. I'll just drink some coffee until about lunchtime. And then I'll eat a very small, usually like a cold meal, like cold cuts or hummus or something cold because it's very hot in mm-hmm. the helicopter. There's no air conditioning. And, uh, yeah. and then I'll get in the aircraft and I'll fly for two hours, three hours and then come back and then I'll eat a much larger meal and, and kind of make up and I'll be very tired, obviously. But I find that that works better than eating a lot of hot food in the morning or just a lot of food in general and then going into that long flight because flying in the afternoon in the heat, that's when you get tired anyway, like typically, like mm-hmm. if you've been up since the morning. So I don't want all that kind of like crashing from food happening at the same time while I'm trying to fly. I want to kind of be sharp and slightly hungry because I feel like that makes me feel a little bit more like, I don't know, in touch with my senses. Maybe that's just BS, but that's just my anecdotal experience of like, sometimes that's what I do, but I don't say like, oh, I'm intermittent fasting. I just like, like this makes sense to me. So I'll do that. But then the next day, if I'm not flying, I'll just eat normal, like in the morning, afternoon and, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But what I love about that is that you found what works for you through some experimentation, through trial and error. And that's the thing, right? And you're not going to a group of people and saying, you know what you need to be doing is, is this, right? Like you evaluated your own schedule. And that that is also a part of what I think is so helpful about people being curious about their eating is what works for me, right? Like what feels best to me? And just because you know, Joe decides to to do it this way doesn't mean that's going to work for, you know, somebody yeah. else. And then that's okay. Oh, that's huge, right? Like, are you saying I shouldn't follow Matt Frazier or Tia Toomey's diet just to lose, <laughs> just to lose five pounds? I think you're going to be eating a lot of Snickers if you follow Matt Frazier's uh, <laughs> training if you diet. Don't, if you don't work out like Matt Frazier, you're probably going to gain weight eating like Matt Frazier, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, you might. <laughs> True. Oh, man. Um, uh, a couple more here, uh, good and bad foods. Um, th- so this terminology kind of bugs me. I don't know if you had any thoughts on the idea of good and bad. 
when it comes to food? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I have a couple posts, um, probably a little down on my feed about this, but just the the arbitrary labels that we give foods. I think a lot of that comes from, um, I know for me personally, like childhood, probably. Um, yeah. and, and a lot of the folks I work with, um, it, we see that resurface of, well, I was thought, you know, this is good, this is bad. Um, and personally, I mean, again, we can look at things on spectrum right we have more nutrient-dense foods and then we can have some less nutrient-dense foods but you know of that of that spectrum you know the more nutrient-dense foods hey we probably want to have those more of the time and the less nutrient-dense foods some of the time or on occasion and I think again it when we start to label good bad right wrong okay what happens to you psychologically when you have those foods that you have deemed bad Okay, is that now you're taking that onto yourself? I'm a horrible person. I'm being bad to God. Or, oh, you're a good salad. Um, and, and that can, again, it's another thing that can really backfire for a lot of people um, when we see kind of these kind of ridiculous labels just this putting, you know, being put out there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and like you, just kind of growing up, like, oh, eat this, this is good good for you eat this this is bad bad for you if you eat something bad then you've been bad and it kind of just goes back to these like childhood ideas of of good and evil i guess i don't know yeah Um, totally and then also i just want to a little side note there too is is also like how does the food make you feel physically also like if you're eating something where hey i know this is not going to sit well digestively I don't care. I'm going to have it anyways. Cool. You're an adult. You, you have autonomy, like make that decision. Um, you know, that's, that's fine. Um, but I, again, to like label like things good, bad, I think it's more so, well, just how does it make you feel? I think that's probably a more important question to, to be asking ourselves. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, a few other myths I've seen, like, uh, at least what I think are myths, it's up to you to decide, I guess, but, uh, <laughs> um, meal timing, if I eat after 8 PM, it's all over. That, that's one that, that's come up um, pretty frequently. So as far as I'm aware, um, there's a conversation that pops up with some, it's not all just their schedules, but if you're having a meal at night, like your, your body's not going to tell the difference, right? Like 500 calories at 8 a.m. is 500 calories at 8 p.m. Now, with that being said, will your sleep be a little bit disrupted? Maybe because you're digesting overnight. Will the scale likely be a little bit higher when you wake up in the morning? Probably if you don't typically eat that late, it's less time that your body's digesting. So you might see, you know, the scale fluctuate upwards. Um, but again, it's one of those things like what, what is a, a shift worker supposed to do who right. works, you know, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m.? Are they just screwed? Like, you know, what, what are they supposed to do during, you know, in that situation? So, no, everyone's like, you know, whatever eating window works best for you. Now, in terms of timing, when it comes to activity that's something that's really interesting and sure there, there's a lot of benefits to making sure that you know we're having you know some carbohydrates we've had some protein um you know within an hour of working out um and then post-workout you don't have to you know, rush to you know slam your protein shake back you got you got some time it's okay um but yeah you're gonna want to have a, a, a meal within you know one to two hours after your workout just to make sure we're kind of replenishing you know those things that we lost um but i think meal timing is one of those things where it's like one of those finer details that people want to hyper fixate on like i'm not seeing progress it must be the meal timing 
no, let's right. take a couple steps back, right? Bigger picture. Um, and, and that's another thing where I see folks kind of hyper fixate on certain details that are far, far less important than, you know, well, hey, like, are you sleeping seven to eight hours? Are you drinking right. enough water? Like, what's your total calorie intake? You know, like those things are going to be superior to those finer, you know, in the weeds details. Right. But uh, another myth is calories don't matter if it's all healthy calories, right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I haven't heard, I haven't really heard that no. one quite as well. No, I've heard it, but like not as like frequently. Per- yeah, perfect, yeah. Yeah. Um, the idea that, yeah, you can eat whatever you want. But again, if we're looking at like your total daily intake, if I'm consuming 300 additional calories beyond what I need to maintain my weight, it doesn't really matter if that's coming from sweet potatoes or it's coming from chips, right? I'm still right. in a surplus. So, by proxy, then over time, I would see a slight gain. And that, that's where I think people get either frustrated or confused or like they jump on like Whole30 a lot too, yeah. which Whole30 is not advertised as a weight loss program at all. And and people have kind of turned it into one and it's not. And for some people, it's, it's a great... Um, it's a great like starting point to kind of evaluating there. Um, there's a lot that I don't love about it, but what I do like about it is it helps people evaluate their food quality and see, Oh, Hey, you know what? I could probably benefit from having some more fruits and veggies or, um, you know, just being mindful of where my food sources are coming from, things like that. Um, but I'll hear people kind of express frustration about, well, I didn't lose any weight and I did whole 30. Well, do you know how much you were eating? What were you eating before? Right? Like, you know, if, if, we're still kind of, you know, balancing things out. We're we're not going to see that loss happen. Yeah, that's so true. Eighty percent of the effort, like most of the effort, is just: Are you in a deficit? Are you in a surplus? Is that what you want to be in? And then checking at either in the mirror, or in the scale, or something every couple of weeks and adju- making adjustments. It's it's not like I do all this thing ahead of time to try to predict how much I can eat. It's more like. I ate this much. Did that work or not? If it did, great. If not, you know, move on and and, and make a change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I love what you mentioned too about monitoring the progress itself, because that is one thing that I think a lot of people who do this like on their own are missing out on, right? Like they're, they're not taking measurements They're They're not doing progress photos or evaluating how their clothes are fitting. And it's going to be really hard to stick to something that you don't know if you're progressing through. So if you're never, you know, as, as uncomfortable as it can be to like take those initial photos just for yourself. Right. Um, or get a starting point. It makes it really hard. I think long-term to be adherent if you don't know if you're making progress or not. And I think that's applicable even to like the weightlifting side of things too, or, you know, fitness. Well, it's funny you mentioned the weightlifting side because I know many people who go to CrossFit and they love to max out and they love to test where they are. And then those same folks, when it comes to nutrition, don't necessarily want to get on the scale every week. And it's like, well, you'll test your bench after the end of a six-week cycle. Why wouldn't you test? Yeah. You know, why wouldn't you test your yeah. your weight if that's what you're trying to control at the end of a two-week cycle or or whatever, right? You know, it's um, yeah, it's putting that same, I guess, mindset towards nutrition. But I think there's either I don't know if there's trauma or there's just so much taboo around nutrition aspect like they can totally get if i lift more weight next week i'm getting stronger you know but they can't Mm -hmm. adapt that to like you know making adjustments and seeing where they are and therefore i'm i'm seeing results when it comes to weight yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure like the reasons behind that, they're, they're going to be so unique to, to each, you know, person too. And, and those folks also where um, I'm, I'm not good, like going to a gym and be like, you know what you really need is nutrition coaching. Right. Um, you know, that's definitely something where if they kind of get to that realization, well, you know, this might be the missing piece, which funny enough is, I'll hear this a lot from, from folks. It's mainly within this community, not so much from, from clients that um, come to me through um, hard house um, directly, but I'll hear kind of, Oh, I've been like thinking about this for a long time where I've been like following your page for a while. And now I just finally decided that, you know, I'm ready to do it. And, and what gets them to that point is always, you know, so, so different, but um, yeah, it, it, that is a really interesting connection though. What you said about kind of monitoring the weight and being willing to do that in the gym, but maybe being less inclined to kind of keep track of, of those other factors nutrition wise. Yeah. And I think it's also hard, right? So like, I mean, obviously it's hard. That's why people have to have coaches, but it, it, it <laughs> sometimes it's like a pound a week or two pounds a week. If you're like an accelerated fat loss, say two pounds a week, like that's still, that's a lot of work, but it's not very noticeable at the beginning, mm-hmm. even in the first four weeks, it might not be noticeable because it's not like it, it, it's perfectly two pounds every week. It's an average over the course of six weeks or whatever. And so you could be working really hard and not see any progress. So, you know, maybe to defend those people that, that can't see that connection, it's the idea they get on the scale, they don't see progress. It's, it's, it's uh, disheartening, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it can be. And, and that's why one of the biggest things when I get on the, uh, when I get on calls with prospective clients is, like the setting expectations piece is really, really important. Um, and you know, we say quite frequently that, Hey, like the first like three months of working with us, that's the warm up essentially. Like that, that's the time where we're figuring out you and, and your behaviors, patterns. And it, it's really around like the eight, nine week mark where we see that frustration kind of come in of like, it's not happening fast enough. Like, you know, I, I want more, I want it now. And um, it's actually very comforting to our clients to hear that, Hey, you're not alone. Like this feeling is incredibly common by this point. And I think the other thing too, is that when you're working with a nutrition coach and you've been, you know, really consistent and you've been doing it for eight, nine weeks, it's on your brain constantly. So when you've been thinking about something for a long period of time, that makes it hard too to be patient and in process, um, you know, because it's just, it's your it's on your brain for, for so long. Um, so there's kind of this idea that it should be happening a lot faster. Um, and I think there's a, a big um, humility component that, that happens around that time where it's just, Oh, okay. And, and that's where we kind of dive into those, you know, other markers of progress of, you know, Hey, like you've been incredibly consistent in these other areas. You weren't doing that before, or you're asking for help more regularly. Right. You never did experience that that's a mark of change or you know there's there's less um uh, negative body image days or what what have you right and and so that's where we kind of pull out those those other progress markers to kind of help work through those those periods yeah for sure i mean it, it's it's kind of hard to uh to just set it and forget it because every meal becomes this huge decision thing right for maybe some people at least for me when i would follow certain protocols or whatever like for a certain goal it's like it's like decision fatigue sometimes right and meal prep you know can help with that or or setting some things aside but just the idea of like i gotta do this 
some plans were like four to six times a day. I got to make decisions about what I'm eating. And it's like, that's exhausting. You know, like I'd rather just eat and move on with my life and like think about something else. Instead, it's like, what am I eating next? It's been two hours. It's time to eat again, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And that, that's where, you know, like you said, a lot of planning and preparation can be exceptionally helpful. And for some folks, it's just having the items in the fridge that they need yep. to, to make the things that that's, that's a personal thing for me. Like I don't have what I need to easily make the choice. It's just, I, okay, can we just, well, let's just order pizza. <laughs> let's just get something that's fast. I don't want to you know, have to think about this. My husband's yeah. already asked me twice today. What do you want to do for dinner? I don't know. Pizza. <laughs> I don't know. Pizza. <laughs> no, yeah. Every time. I'm going to want that. Um, but no, yeah, the decision fatigue is, is very, very real. And that that's another thing that pops up quite frequently in, in kind of discussing ways to combat for, for each person. Um, and for some people, it means, you know, intermittently taking a break from tracking or, you know, only tracking X amount of days. And and those are some really great strategies that can be helpful to help combat some, some of that fatigue that and very you know, understandably pops up. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, did you have anything else you wanted to uh, to touch on? I don't think so. I'm actually super excited that we, I think, covered a lot of the stuff that was kind of like in my brain when you um, kind of brought this back up again. Um, yeah, for and sure. Yeah, if you uh, want me back on in the future, we can like be super specific, you know, specific on one topic. But I feel like it was really like fun to kind of cover a wide variety of, of different things. Oh, I think so, too. And just kind of like getting your perspective as I'm just kind of like rapid firing these random things at you. you know, yeah. It's been fun, you know. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And internet connection problems and all. <laughs> right. Well, it's no big deal. I was I was glad to be able to, to make this happen. Um where can uh, people find you? What's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they're interested in what you do or they, they want to reach out and, and ask some questions? Totally. So Instagram is Coach Sandy period Island. Um, they could also follow the Hard House Nutrition page on Instagram as well. Both the link and the Hard House um, Nutrition page and my um, Instagram bio will link you to our website. Um, or you can always email me directly, which is uh, sandy at um, hardhousenutrition.com. You can ask me questions. Feel free to like slide into my DMs too on Instagram if you have any questions about coaching. Um, we also have a really cool new addition um, on our website, which is a coach's quiz. So you can actually take this like really short, it's like less than a minute long quiz to see who you would be like best matched with, um, which is kind of fun too, just to see, you know, how each coach's like personalities and styles might fit what you're looking for. Okay. Well, wonderful. Yeah. I'll put all the the links to that in the, the show notes and everything. So everyone can, can click on it and find it. And uh, I want to awesome. thank you so much for all your time and, and everything. And hopefully you have a wonderful afternoon and figure out that dinner. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. It's not going to be pizza. <laughs> We're going to make something. <laughs> All right. Well, that's good. Um, you know, no pressure, but being an nutrition coach, you know, you're not allowed to order pizza, right? No. <laughs> oh, no, I am. But I'm choosing to practice some healthy restraint right now because I'm <laughs> evaluating my long-term term needs versus the, the short-term ones. So delaying gotcha. instant gratification. Well, that sounds like a very wise and well-thought-out choice. So uh, anyway, I'll leave yeah. you at that and have a wonderful afternoon.